Hey, Shepherd Church, welcome to our service this weekend. Wasn't it a joy to see some of our Shepherd family worshiping together? All over this city, we give testimony that God is still alive in us and through us. Amen? Amen. I hope sometime over the course of this message to let you know when we might start meeting again as a church. So stay tuned for that. I hope you have your Bible and your notes. And before I preach, I just want to say that our hearts are broken over the needless death of George Floyd. You and I must stand against all forms of race, racism. I want to say that to you again. You and I must stand against all forms of racism in this country. Can you say amen? I've been working on an event, a nationwide event, where I'm gathering pastors around the country. We're gonna put it on Facebook Live, where we pray for racial unity in our country. But I just want to encourage you that we must always put our actions with our prayers. It's one thing to pray, but I think it's time for us to do more than just pray. So do not be silent. Do not burn down any targets. Do not condemn all police officers, but be vocal anytime you see or hear of any racial injustice. Can you say amen? Now, this weekend, I wanna wrap up our sermon series called The Sands of Time with one of my favorite stories uh, from World War II history in a place called Cologne, Germany. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16. I wanna to speak to you about the cathedral of Cologne. Uh, last fall, there were some friends of ours. This is my wife right here. It was a little cold that day, but these are some friends of ours who invited us to go on a river cruise over in Europe. And you can tell uh, we had a really fun time on that trip. We got on this boat and we cruised down the Rhine River up, we started in the Netherlands, we went through Germany, we went through France and it ended up in Switzerland. And this is a map of the city of Cologne and you can see that the Rhine River comes right through that city. And right up against the Rhine River in the heart of the city center is this beautiful cathedral called the Cathedral of Cologne. It is the tallest twin-spired church in the world. It's also the third tallest church in the entire world. This building uh, began being constructed in the 1200s and it took 600 years. Think about how many people lived over the course of that. It took 600 years to build and uh, is still uh, standing today. Inside this church is this gold box. And this box supposedly contains the bones of the wise men that you read about in the Gospels. Now, the story goes that they didn't build the church and then took the box of bones inside the church. The story is back in the 1200s, they acquired this, these bones of the wise men and they wanted to build something that would house this box. And so the church was built in honor of the bones of the wise men. Now you can decide for yourself whether or not those are actually the bones of the wise men. I, I know what I think, but you can make up your own mind. Uh, for yourself. Now, the church is, is made out of a, it's called sandstone. 
And uh, sandstone, because of the sulfuric acid that's in rain, just naturally it's in rain, this, it turns that sandstone dark. And uh, if you started to clean it, uh, by the time you finish cleaning the entire building, it would look just as it does now. So that they really don't spend much time cleaning it. But at nighttime, if you're ever there, if you look across, if we go to the next slide, if you look across the Rhine River, they've got this beautiful bridge, and I'm going to talk more about this bridge, but it is just a, an absolute beautiful and magnificent structure. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you back to Cologne, Germany during World War II, the year 1945. Uh, Cologne, Germany was the largest city that United States captured during World War II. It was obviously a, a German city, and uh, we knew, and the Germans knew, that if we captured Cologne, that we could cross the Rhine River, the Rhine River, and it would be a beachhead for us to capture all of Germany. So the Germans were determined not to let this city fall. And the Germans, if you study the story, they actually blew up themselves that bridge over the Rhine River. And the reason they blew that bridge up was not so it would keep the Americans from crossing over into Germany. They actually blew up that bridge to keep their soldiers from retreating. They wanted the German soldiers to defend that city at all cost. Now, as we eventually took control of the city, we were able to embed some photographers and some of the best photographs that were ever taken in World War II were, were pictures that were taken in Cologne, Germany. The final skirmish took place right in front of that church. It came down, again, right in front of the church, it came down to a battle between two tanks, two tanks dueling it out. There was an American Pershing tank with Clarence Smore, who was in charge of that tank. He was, the, he was the gunner. And there was a German Panther tank. So that whole capturing of that city came down to the final battle between an American tank and a German tank. And uh, if you ever go, and the whole thing is captured not just with photographs, it was actually videotaped back in those days. And if you get on Amazon.com and you just type in or search the duel at the cathedral, the duel at the cathedral, there's a DVD there that you can actually buy for like $15 and you can watch that city being captured by the Americans and even that final battle between those two tanks. There's an, there's an author by the name of Adam Makos who has written many books on history and he wrote this book called Spearhead, which is a thrilling, accurate account of this final battle that took place between this American uh, tank and this German tank. And there are photographs in there. You can go to the website and look at some of the videos. I want to tell you, I loved reading this book, and you should read it. Uh, just You'll be impressed by... Uh, by the men and women who served in our country, if you read this book. But I want to show you a couple of photographs that, that are in the book. You can see this first picture is a tank. You can see the city is completely destroyed, and they're headed down to the city center 
because that's where the final battle is going to be fought. You can see the twin spires in the background. The next picture is actually after the battle was over, right in front of that church, you can see it. This is the German tank that uh, after the Americans uh, defeated the Germans, uh, at this church, they, they, they shot down this tank or destroyed this tank, but ultimately it's what brought victory to the United States and the allies in Cologne, Germany. Now, here's what I want to explain to you. When the Americans and the allies decided to capture Cologne, the very first thing we did is we bombed the daylights out of Cologne with the largest air attack up to that point. We literally dropped tens of thousands of bombs fell on Cologne, Germany, and we completely leveled the city. However, what you need to know, and it's obvious, that church that was built in the 1200s and took 600 years to build, it was finished in the 1800s, we destroyed the city, but somehow that church remained standing. Now, I'm, I'm there, I'm looking at this building, and I, I'm wondering if we dropped all the bombs on this city, how is it possible that that church was not destroyed in, in the bombing? And so, after the tour guide was explaining all this, I got on Google, and I, I actually Googled uh, about this story, and I found several photographs. I want you to see this one. You can see that the city has been completely destroyed by all the bombing. You can see the bridge over here that the Germans themselves destroyed to keep the Germans from retreating. But then you have, here's the church. It's, it remains standing. It, it, it's, it's almost unbelievable. I have another photograph. I want to go full screen. If you look full screen again, you can see the church is there. The rest of the city has been bombed. The tour guide told us that many people believe that Hitler had worked out a deal with Churchill that if we didn't bomb the Cathedral of Cologne when we were bombing it, that he, Hitler, would not bomb the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, France. Now, we don't know if that's true or not, but we do know that somehow, in spite of the hundreds of thousands of bombs that were leveled on Cologne, that somehow that church remained standing. And today, uh, it remains one of the top tourist attractions in all of Germany. Now, when I saw that photo, one passage of Scripture, I, I, looked, at, I looked at the photos, and there was one passage of Scripture that just obviously I've started to think about. And it's, it's, it's a passage that doesn't talk about the power of a physical church building, but it's a verse that talks about the powerful force of a spiritual building called the church. I want to read these words to you found in Matthew chapter 16, our text today, that says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said, well, what about you, the disciples? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter in verse 16 answered, you are the Christ, the Son 
of the living God. And he said in verse 17, the Bible says, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And verse 18 reads, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The greatest organization and the greatest organism on the face of this entire planet is the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's absolutely foolish to talk about loving Jesus and not love the things that Jesus loved. And Jesus loved the church. There are several things that every person needs to know about the church. I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. Number one is what we call the confession. Everybody say the word confession. The confession of the church. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter made that great confession there in verse 16. He answered, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's Peter's confession of faith. There's a big discussion in the COVID-19 circles today about what is essential and what is non-essential. And the most essential thing for all people is to confess that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And that confession is the key to you entering the kingdom of God. That confession is key to you acquiring eternal life. That confession of your faith is the key to the forgiveness of your sins. That confession is the key to you receiving your eternal inheritance. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in the book of Romans chapter 10. The Bible says that if, and that's the biggest word in the Bible, that if you confess, we're talking about the confession of the church, that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. That means that he's uh, supreme, that he is ruler, that he is over all, that he is Lord of all. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You'll be saved. And verse 10 says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, but it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That's Romans chapter 10. I wanna show you uh, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said these words, whoever acknowledges me, in other words, you make this confession, if you ever acknowledges me before men, Jesus said, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And then he said in verse 33, but whoever disowns me before men, he says, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. You and I must be willing to make that confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, just like Peter did. But I want you to write this down in your notes, if you will. It's not just a matter of saying those words. You have to have the conviction in your heart. You have to be convinced. I want you to write those two words down. It's not just saying the words. It's not just giving lip service. You just can't say the words, Jesus is Lord, and be saved. You have to be 
convinced, you have to have conviction that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. It's not enough just to say the words. You have to believe that Jesus is supreme, that he's Lord, that he's master, that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. Now in our culture today, everybody say culture, in our culture, to believe in one God and one Lord and one faith through Jesus Christ and confessing that is politically incorrect. The Hollywood elite have cast Jesus as a misguided mystic. The Washington spin masters have demoted Jesus as irrelevant and secondary to their puppet power. The Harvard professors in the world have reduced Jesus to an historical footnote and liberal theologians have stripped Jesus of his deity. The majority of all Americans now believe that all people pray to the same God. You know, if you invoke uh, uh, the name or a higher power, if you invoke a higher, a higher power, and you're talking about a higher power, most people in America will say, okay, you can have your, your higher power. But if you make a statement and you say, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Or if you say Jesus is the only hope for our world, if you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, you will be censored, you will be mocked, you will be ostracized. 12 days after 9-11, the year 2001, the mayor of New York City called a special gathering called a prayer for America. And it was held in Yankee Stadium. The stage was cluttered with religious leaders. There were Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims and Jews and Catholics and, and Greek Orthodox. The only group of people left off that stage were evangelicals. Muhammad's spokesmen were welcomed in the great stadium. New Agers were well represented. Celebrities crowded the platform, all of which meant to represent unity and diversity fused in legitimate grief over America's loss. While the mayor stood tall, political agendas were tabled. Bette Mittler sang, wind beneath my wings. It was basically a funeral or a memorial for those who died on 9-11, yet there was no mention of Jesus Christ. In a service where death had triumphed over thousands, what a twisted irony that the only person who has ever conquered death, which is Jesus, was not welcome at the event. Jesus' name was not mentioned. His comfort was not sought. His presence and his power were not requested. We needed hope. We need hope now. But there is no hope without Jesus Christ. We need comfort. We need comfort now. But there is no comfort without Jesus Christ. Jesus may not be welcomed in our culture today, but Jesus is needed in our culture today. And who will declare him if the church backs off that message? Who will confess him if we who are saved fail to confess him? The church's mantra and the church's calling is to tell the entire world that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the only way that you can be saved, and the only way that I can be saved, and the only way that anyone can be saved 
And the only way that anyone can ever enter into the kingdom of God is to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the Son of the living God. Oh, I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, today that that is the confession of the church. But number two, write this down, is what we call the construction of the church. We have the confession. Now's the construction of the church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I know you're familiar with this. He said, I will build my church. Think about those five words. Those five words. I will build my church. He did not say, Peter, you are to build my church. He didn't say, Peter, you are to build your church. He didn't say, Peter, I, Jesus, will build your church. He didn't say that. What did he say to Peter? He said, Peter, I will build my church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. It's not some denomination's church. It's Jesus's church. He said, I will build my church. And he is building his church. I've learned something about construction. It always takes longer than you think. It always costs more than you think. And most times the contractor, he, he usually does not deliver on his promises. Not so with Jesus. I want you to write this down. Jesus is a master builder and he delivers on all of his promises. He's true to his word. He builds on time. He never walks off the job. He knows every detail. He is the master builder. And it's the passion of his heart is to build a church as a vessel to reach this lost world and to edify those of us that are saved. He wants every single person in the world to be saved. And after you're saved, he wants every single person who's saved to actively participate in a local New Testament church. Oh, let me tell you, there are times I get discouraged. There's times where I think the burden is too great. There's times where I believe I can't do much more. There's not, I feel like there's not much more left in the tank where criticism and just being in the battle seems to be too much. And all of a sudden, I think about those five words, I will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And it's very freeing to know that he is in charge of his church, that he's the one that's carrying the load, that he is faithful, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, and all I need to do is to trust in the master builder. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, that no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 20 says that Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. Whenever you build something, you've got to have a, the first rock that is laid is what's called the cornerstone. And the Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone. And the Bible says that, that, that we are in him, in Christ, in that cornerstone. The, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that we, that's you and I, we are the living stones. We're the ones that are stacked on top that cornerstone that create, the Bible says we are living stones and we're being built into a spiritual house. 
You know, you don't take a bunch of rocks and just throw them over there in a big pile and it creates a, 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 a house or a, a room all by itself. No, you have to take those rocks, those stepping stones, and you have to stack them. And I want you to know that Jesus is the one that's gathering us. Jesus is the one that places us on that wall. Now, something has to hold us all together. And, and, and I, I want you to know that love is what holds us all together. But, but Jesus is the one that gathers us. He's the one that places us where he wants us. And together we create what's called the church or the bride of Jesus Christ, all built on the, the, the cornerstone by the master builder himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can actually see Jesus. Sometimes in my mind, I, I just see Jesus walking around. He's got a hard hat on and he's got his blueprints all rolled up and he's looking and and at the, at the blueprint for the church, and he gazes out over Europe, and he's building his church in Europe, and then he, he looks out over Asia, and today he's building his church in Asia, and then he surveys the continents of Africa and, and South uh, America and Australia, and he's, he's building his church and then he comes to America, and I can see Jesus as he looks out over the United States of America. And even today, this very moment, what is he doing? He's building his church. He's constructing his church. He has not forsaken us. And even though this very moment, because of COVID-19, we're not even allowed to meet as a church, and we're all kind of huddled in our houses, I, you know, honestly... That can be a little discouraging. I mean, I'm, I miss meeting with you, and I, th I think you miss being here, and it's been almost three months now, and I do feel like the government believes that we're non-essential at times. I mean, they've opened up the liquor stores. That Liquor stores are essential to the government. Home Depot is essential to the government. I actually was putting gas in my car this week, and a guy rolled up uh, next to me, and rolled his window down, and he said, hey, can you tell me where Home Depot is? Because he had to get there and, and not one person has rolled up to me and rolled down their window and said, hey, where's the church? No one's asking that question right now. Because to the government, it's not essential. The marijuana shops are essential. Restaurants are essential. The casinos have all opened up. They're essential. You can even get on an airplane and travel for three hours, shoulder to shoulder, maybe five hours to get to New York. That's okay. But then they tell us we can't meet together as a church, that the most people we can have in here is like 100 people. And there are some churches that are opening up this weekend, and most churches, I don't know if you know this, but most churches don't have 100 people. And so all of those churches that are opening, I'm happy for them. I really am. I, I, again, I wish every church could open. I'm, I'm happy for them. My, my best guess, now this is my best guess, I, I, we're kind of in the back of our mind, we're planning for August First weekend in August, that's August 1 and 2. And I, 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 that's, that's only eight weeks away. Now I know for some of you that's too soon, and for some of you that's too late, you wanna start meeting right now. But I, this is my own opinion, I think that by June, everything's going to be opened up. And uh, July, we're gonna let a whole nother month go by, just for extra precaution. And we wanna get our campus ready. And that first meeting, that first weekend in August, I hope you're here when we open up these doors. And I don't even know if it will be legal for us to do that because we're gonna have more than 100 people. And uh, you know what, I've, I've thought about this. They might, they might arrest me, they might, they might. 
but we've been shut for four or five months by that time. It's, it's time to open back up the church. The bottom line is, though, I'm not worried about a thing because you know what? You and I are not in charge. There's only one person in charge. That's the master builder. That's Jesus Christ, and he is building his church. Whether we're meeting in this room or meeting on another campus or meeting in your living room, Jesus is building the church in this city, in this nation, and in this world. And it doesn't matter the, the, where we meet. It just, you just need to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is building his church, and he's building you, and he's building me. Amen. And as we close, here's my third point is what we call the continuation of the church. The continuation of the church. He said to Peter, I tell you, Peter, Peter said, he said, who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, that on this rock, I will build my church. And then he said this, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I want you to know that the church is marching. The church is marching. As we prepare to close, the church is marching. The church is marching. The church is marching. I want you to write this down, that the church of Jesus Christ is invincible. And the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. Satan will never destroy the church. Oh, I want to say that to you again. Satan will never destroy the church. Not any power, not any nation, not COVID-19, no army, no government, no persecution, no recession, not any force, not any enemy will ever defeat the church of Jesus Christ. It continues. The gates of hell will not prevail. So do not be discouraged by what's going on right now, that we're not meeting together. It's okay. We're going to get together in like eight weeks. You can wait. You can wait eight weeks, can't you? For the next eight weeks, can't you, right where you live and in your neighborhood and whoever you meet, can't you be the hands and feet of Jesus? Don't you worry a thing about the church. We're going to be fine because the gates of hell cannot prevail against what God wants to do as he builds his church in this city and in this nation and in this world. I, I want to go back to that cathedral, if you will. You know, I showed you, we started this whole message off with a picture of a group of people. We were standing right here as a background uh, to that church. You walk over there and you just, I mean, you can't even look up. You can't even focus. It's so high up, you can't even really focus on it. There's all these people down here. You can see how little they are and how tall that spire is. And you can actually go inside and you can see the gold box and all that stuff. As you stand down here, I just wanna, I wanna point something out to you that probably none of you saw when I showed you this picture. That's this building right over there. You see that building right there? You know what that is? I know you looked at all this, but you didn't look over there. You missed the real story. That building is a museum. Back in 1941, at the start of the war, I think the Germans knew that one day we we're gonna come get them. That's what I think they knew. 
And right on the corner of the church, they wanted to build an, an, an air raid where when the bombs came, they could, they could build this shelter where they could go down and hide in the shelter. And so they, right on the corner of the church, they started to dig down to build this air raid shelter. And they, they got down about 30 feet, about 28 feet. They went beneath the surface of the, of the earth here. They dug down, and guess what they found when they went down there? It's 1941. They found a Roman villa. They found a floor, beautiful mosaic floor. From a period of time, 2,000 years ago, they dug down there. They found that this was a Roman outpost as the Romans were conquering the entire world. So you look at this building, and our minds go back to 1945, just a few years ago. Somehow this building survived. But the real story is what's here. And you realize that there are 2,000 years of history between this church, where it is today, and that Roman villa that was built 2,000 years ago. And it's a reminder to you, and it's a reminder to me that kingdoms rise and fall. For one time, the Romans were in charge of the entire world, but Rome was conquered. And then you have the Greeks with Alexander the Great. They conquered the entire world. You have the, the falling and the rising of kingdoms, Rome, Greece, the Medes, and the Persians, and the Babylonians, the Alexander the Greats, the Caesars. There, have, there are kingdoms, there are kings, there are presidents that come and go. And right now we think that the United States is large and in charge of the world. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, do not be so foolish. As the kingdoms of this world come and go, there is only one thing that is certain. And that is that the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. I want to go back one last time and look at this verse. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked this question, what about you? I want to ask you, what about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is today? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when I, I want to ask you right now this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Are you willing to make him your Lord, your King? and your ruler oh let me tell you there is nothing else when i say nothing else i mean nothing else there is nothing else in this world that matters except you making that confession of your faith having the conviction that it's true and being convinced that jesus is the messiah that jesus is the king of all kings that he's the lord of all lords and that is what will usher you into the kingdom of god into the presence of god I want us to bow our heads for just a word of prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you would just pray this prayer after me, dear God in heaven, I come to you today as a simple person. But I desire, Lord, to have everlasting life. And today, I want to put my faith 
and my trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, open up my eyes, open up my mind, open up my heart that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Lord, come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. Thank you for reminding me that over the last 2,000 years and all the ups and downs of history, that the Lord God still reigns supreme. That kingdoms come and go, battles are won and fought, nations rise and fall, kings come and go, presidents come and go. But the church, the church triumphant, remains today until the end of time. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen.